0: Well, good morning, church. Uh, As you can tell, I am not with you this morning, at least not in person. Uh, I am doing this video recording because while you're watching this, I will be in the country of Poland. I was invited to come down to Poland or come over to Poland uh, to visit with Pioneer Bible Translators and a variety of other churches and ministry leaders there in Poland who are really trying to serve the Lord as they deal with the refugee crisis from all of the people that are coming in from the Ukraine. And I uh, really felt like it was important for me to be able to go to learn and, and really strategize and think about how we as a church can get involved in something that we can clearly see the Lord is doing there in that region of the world. And so certainly, certainly ask for your prayers, certainly ask for um, just you, not just for myself, but for the church here in, in, in Poland, uh, as well as my family and others that are having to kind of bear the weight while I'm gone. Uh, hopefully I'll be back by next week. Uh, and I'm excited to be able to share some of the things that I, I learned there. And so uh, just keep those people, keep our brothers and sisters uh, on the forefront of your minds uh, as we. It's easy to stand back from a distance with all of the other people and kind of the mass and look at it from um, a very disconnected space, but we want to be like Christ and we want to go into those difficult places, obviously with wisdom and obviously with care. And obviously with an element of good stewardship and mindfulness. And so we're really looking to try to figure out how to do that. So all that to say, I want to go ahead and jump into our text for this morning. And I'd already prepared the sermon on Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And so um, that's where we're going to be today. And so uh, if you're there in the building this morning, I want to invite you to go ahead and stand uh, out of respect for God's Word. Uh, This is something that we do every single week because we believe in the authority of uh, God's Word and and really the importance of God's Word in our lives. And so uh, I want to read for us Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or do, deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Church, go ahead and have a seat. Pray with me. Father, this morning, I just pray that as I have the privilege to be able to share your word, that you would help us to uh, simply by your spirit to be faithful to your call, to us as your people. Um, As I say almost every week, uh, it is never the desire that these words be mine, but that they be yours and that they be for your people, uh, for the good of your people, for the building up of your people, and, and for the equipping of your people. I Of which is just one of many. And so even in my own heart, Lord, I pray that you would take these things and and use them to encourage, use them to equip, uh, equip us for the work of ministry that you've called us to. And so Father, we just ask this morning that you would be with us. I pray that you would be with us here in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, I also pray, Lord, that you would be with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the Ukraine, our brothers and sisters in Christ in Poland, And in Romania and all the other places, they're so affected by all that's going on in our world. Father, may we trust and continue to trust in your sovereign hand, continue to trust in your goodness and in your character. Father, I pray all these things in your name. Amen. So as we start this morning, I actually wanted to start with a little bit of an analogy as we jump in. And so you see this um, bottle of oil Uh, or this vase of oil, whatever you want to call it here. And and as we've talked about the past couple of weeks, um, we've been talking about how we are in Christ Jesus, that that we are new creations in Jesus Christ. But prior to being new creations in Jesus Christ, we were an old man. We were the natural self. We were the flesh. And this oil that's in this vase represents that part of us, the old creation and all those different things that are in us anger and and malice and obscene talk and idolatry and sexual immorality and all of the things that we read about last week, those things are in us. And because they're in us, it's also what pours out of us. And so just like if I were to pour this oil out, um, it's clear that what's coming out is based off of what's in the oil, similar to what Jesus says when he says that um, that which is in our hearts is what defiles us. And so it's not that we put in our mouths or anything else. It's what's in us that defiles us. And so we are representing or recognizing that in our old condition uh, of being the old creation, like this is who we are, are and were. But as Christians, we have been made new we have been raised up with Christ. We've been made new creations, and we talked a lot about that last week and the week before, and and that is represented by this water. And and as you pour this in, obviously you know what happens with oil and water, that it it creates in essence a dividing line between that which was old and that which is new. And it, it takes a moment to see, but Clearly, you can begin to see the dividing line of, of the old and the new because they don't mix together. In fact, they conflict with each other and they repel one another and they're opposites. And yet, here is the divided life that oftentimes we live in our lives. And we hope and desire that as we put to death, the old that we pour more and more and more of that old out. And what's fascinating about this is that as we answer the call to put those things to death, like we talked about last week, that we're pouring more and more of that old out. We're taking more and more and more of that old out. But in this analogy, you can see that that leaves a little bit of a vacuum at the top here. And here's the point of that, and here's why I think this is a helpful analogy for us, is because while we want to be putting to death those things. That's a negative component. Paul also tells us to be putting more in and putting more on. And so there's these two different things that are happening simultaneously um, within our lives. We're putting to death the old. We're trying to take that stuff out. but at the same time, in the text we read this morning, we're called to put on Jesus. We're called to put on a new self. And this is a huge component. And in verse 12, this is what Paul is saying. And it's very clear of this positive action that he wants us to engage in, which is to put on Then, And I love the Greek and what it stands there. It doesn't really capture it in our English language, but it literally says to get dressed or to clothe yourself with. And Paul, uh, in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, Paul says it a different way. He says it like this. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so we've got these two different things that if we have been made new in Jesus Christ, we're not only to put to death the old part of us, but we're to put on Jesus, the new part of us in our lives. So we're stripping away the old and we need to do the same while we're stripping away the old. We need to be getting dressed with Jesus. This is a calling back to our condition as God's people, as His chosen ones, as His sons and daughters. If He's made us new, we are to get dressed and act like that. Another image that I think can kind of help us get an understanding of what Paul's kind of talking about is an older movie. It was around when my kids were younger and um, my wife and my daughters loved it. It was called The Princess Diaries, and it was a movie about a young girl in high school. Her name was Mia Thermopolis, and, and she uh, was a crazy-looking girl and had hair that was just all ratty and, and crazy and glasses and no makeup and just goofy and clumsy and all these different things. Well, In the movie, she learns that she's actually a princess. And so the whole movie is really about her taking this new reality of her condition and trying to learn what it is to actually walk in that, what it is to actually kind of put on being a princess, if you will. And that's the whole movie. It's the whole point of the movie. And similarly, we have been now made princesses and princes in God's kingdom, and God and Paul is calling us to put on then our new role. It's not a dress, it's not a tox, it's not makeup, but it's specific characteristics that are aimed to exemplify who we are and who God is making us to be. It's this living out of the new creation. So when we're living out of the old, it's things like impatience and lying. But when we're living out of the new, Paul gives us a list of some things that exemplify the new. Now, I want to take a look at that in contrast to the old. And so keep this image in your mind as you're looking. So, in the old, we lived in a state of indifference, meaning that if it didn't really affect us, we didn't really care. But with the new, we are living in a state of compassion. That's one of the reasons why we want to be driven to go and serve our brothers and sisters in Christ in a place like Ukraine. In the old, we were cold hearted. But as the new creation, we have a kindness that bursts out of our lives. In the old, We were prideful in our own abilities, in our own strengths, in our own wisdom. But in the new, we're humble. We have a humility. This is what we're to be dressed with. The old, we were dressed with arrogant assumptions. But in the new, we are to be dressed with a certain meekness. The old was dressed with impatience. The new, is should be dressed with patience. The old is quick to cast off. As soon as somebody no longer serves a purpose or helps us be the people we want to be or do the things we want to do, we just cast them off. But with the old, we want to be bearing with one another. And above all of this, Paul tells us in Colossians 3 that we should love. Love is the binding agent. Look again at verse 14. And above all of these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony i love that love holds it all together you may be able to be kind for a moment you may be able to be compassionate for a moment you may even be able to act humble for a moment but in the end without love you won't be able to sustain that for a long period of time and without love even if you can act in those certain ways, it won't create the perfect harmony that God wants us to be walking in, in as his people. You know, years ago, uh, I, I was leading a small group, and I remember this particular person, they're long gone now, so um, anybody who was in a small group with me don't think I'm talking about you, but there was a certain person that joined our group, and they were really hard to bear with, if you know what I mean. And here's the thing to my shame, as I look back on that, I was able to be kind to them and to be inviting to them, to be patient with them, but in my heart, I wasn't loving them. And so I could put on this show, but behind their backs, again to my shame, like I was tempted to laugh and I was tempted to mock and talk about them behind their backs because there wasn't a love that was driving those actions. And so, to their face, I could be patient, and to the public, I could be patient and kind. But in my heart, I man, it wasn't about love. And the scripture is clear: like without love, like these things are just a resounding god gong. And so, love is what binds these things together. Love should coat every one of these actions and these things that Paul is talking about that should exemplify this new man in our lives. Now. The old us oftentimes resists this, doesn't it? Like a lot of times when we're living out of the old, like we just don't feel like doing these things. We don't feel like acting these ways. And and so it can become really hard because I don't feel like being humble. I don't feel like loving. I don't feel like being kind. I don't feel like being patient. I'd rather be impatient. I'd rather be unkind. It's easier to, to cast people off than it is to bear with them over the long haul. And so one of the things that I think Paul now enters into in the rest of Colossians chapter three is not only does he tell us, okay, I want you to put off and put to death the things of the old, but now I want you to put on, get dressed with these things specifically. And then Paul jumps in to give us four sources or motivations that can drive these things in our lives. And so instead of just deciding we're going to become patient, that has to be birthed out of something that Christ is doing in us through the Spirit of God because it's really unnatural for us to be patient or to be kind or to be meek or to be humble. And so I want to look at these four sources or these four motivations that I think that Paul is giving us. Now, as we go through these sources, I think this is really important. See, this requires us to be open to our own souls being examined. So I think it's gonna be really easy as we think about these motivations and we think about these wellsprings, if you will, of where the the good things come out of, the new man comes out of, and, and, and to look at other people who we see as people who are struggling to live in accordance with the new man Like I think it's easy for us to then judge and say, well, man, I I wish that so-and-so could understand these sources. I wish that this person over here could understand these sources. But I I think we need to look at ourselves first. And we need to be mindful of of why we might struggle to live out of the new condition that God has given to us. Why we struggle to put on these things as Christians in our conduct. And so... The first motivation that Paul gives us is the forgiveness of Christ. As we consider how this plays out in our lives, especially among the faithful, Paul gives us the drive to why we should forgive in verse 13, right? Forgiving each other, how and why? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. See, so our motivation for forgiveness, our motivation for putting on these things in our life isn't out of duty. It's not because we were told to. It's because we too have been forgiven. So when someone sins or complains against you, fails in a way that's, that maybe isn't even necessarily sin, it's just frustrating, we are to see In those failures and in those moments, we're to see our own sins according to God. We're to see our own betrayals and our own anger and our own whatever that is that's causing us pain or that's frustrating us. We're to see our own in that person. Sometimes I look at my kids and I see things that they're doing and and I can get really frustrated and then real fast be reminded that, wait, that's just how I act towards the Lord all the time. That's just the way I am all the time. And yet he's forgiven me. And like, this isn't easy. Don't get me wrong. Like this isn't just a flip of the switch. This is something that takes daily practice and daily effort in our lives. But the only love that is going to be sustained long-term is a love that is founded upon the love of Christ that we've received from him. When we were not worthy, Of compassion, when we were not worthy of patience, when we were not worthy of kindness, when we were not worthy of gentleness, Jesus gave us all those things. And so when we're confronted with a moment where we come into a situation where we are tempted to live out of the old man, we're reminded of all the forgiveness and all the work that Christ has done in us, forgiving us so that we then can extend that same kindness that we've received that now is birthed out of the Spirit of God. And again, this isn't always just sin. I mean, how quickly can we fail to show compassion when someone, they just make a bad decision and they're dealing with the consequence of that bad decision? How many times has God had compassion upon us when we've made a mistake? right. Think about that time you go to buy a new couch and you bring it into your house and you get everything all set up and and then your kids start to play on it and the first thing that they do is they spill grape juice on it and they ruin it. They're not sinning in that moment. They're not doing any sin, but it's still something that's super frustrating. And in that moment, as you're tempted to lash out in anger or frustration, be reminded of how many times have we messed up God's good things in our own lives. How many times have we marred His creation? How many times have we stained His good things and yet He continues over and over and over again to give us, faith, give us grace and to give us His mercy? And so one of the motivating things, one of the wellsprings that help us to put on Christ is to be reminded of the forgiveness that we have received in Jesus. The next thing that Paul mentioned is the peace of Christ that is given to us. In verse 15, he tells us to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Let the peace of Christ become part of that wellspring of putting on the new and putting to death the old. In John chapter 14, verse 27, John says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. This is actually Jesus's words, not John's, sorry. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your your, your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Like, what does that actually mean? You know, when you think about Jesus, he didn't actually bring a lot of what felt like peace to the first century. I mean, there was riots because of Jesus. There was conflict because of Jesus. There was constant conflict with the religious leaders because of Jesus. Even within the Pharisees and the Sadducees because of Jesus, there was conflict. There was conflict with Rome because of Jesus. There was trouble brought to Mary's heart because of Jesus. There was harm or like trouble that was brought to the disciples' heart because of Jesus as he walked through the death or through his death and in that in-between space as they're not sure what's going on. And even after Jesus goes, you think about peace that was brought to the disciples. Paul was beat. Paul was shipwrecked. Paul was beheaded, ultimately, and imprisoned. Um, Peter was crucified upside down. John was exiled. Like When we think about peace and we think about the idea of bringing the lack of conflict or removing conflict, it doesn't feel like Jesus is doing that stuff. Not now. Not in this moment. I mean, Jesus himself says that he came and he's going to divide homes and uh, mothers will come against fathers and, and, and kids and kids will come against their mothers and fathers. And so there's this division that happens. And then Jesus is coming again at the end of times. And this time he's coming with a sword. Like these don't seem like peaceful things. And so what does it mean to have the peace of Christ rule in our hearts? And so as I thought about this and I prayed about it and as I pondered like how we could Think about this. I had an image come to my mind that I felt was really helpful, at least to me. See, prior to Christ, in our own lives, we've got all kinds of turmoil and conflict that rains down upon us. This, this, is, like, this is a crushing feeling in our lives. And so you see this image of this man and all this stuff, this insecurity and sickness and brokenness and betrayal and fear and poverty and doubt and hurt and hatred, even the wrath of God. And it's all pressing down upon us and it's crushing us. And so we feel this constant conflict in our lives. And left to ourselves, like we don't have anywhere else to go. And so all we can do is try to hold it at bay and try to push back. And so just think about this: When someone wrongs us, what do we do? Do we feel peace in our souls? No, no, we feel this insatiable need to push back. And not just to push back, but to, to as we push back, to ex- expect justice, even sometimes to the point of where we want to see that person, just experience some form of pain. We have to push back. But it's not just when someone betrays us or hurts us. We try to earn our salvation through our goodness or good works. We try to fix our own mistakes and our own strength and our own power. We try to get smart enough to fix and address the issues of our days. We, we are carrying the weight of all this stuff. I mean, I think about our brothers and sisters are not our brothers and sisters, the people who are not believers in Jesus Christ that are living in the Ukraine as this stuff starts to press down upon them, how can they find peace? Where are they gonna find peace? Like what's there to offer peace to them? Like uh, they can look to NATO or they can look to the the West or maybe hope that someone's gonna take out Russia or some level, but where does their peace come from? Their only peace could be to fight back and to push back. And at some point bearing the weight of that starts to feel like a crushing weight on all of us, not just the people in Ukraine, And so Jesus, he delivers us from all of that. He delivers us from all that. By dying for our sin, Jesus first makes peace for us towards God. Now that's beautiful, right? So he removes the wrath of God and he brings peace to us. He then brings us underneath his rule and reign. He kind of puts us within a bubble of his reign, if you will. And as sons and daughters, we are now under His perfect, good, kind, wise, and eternal reign. We are hemmed in by His Spirit. We are under this reign. And so when those same things begin to come, we have peace that comes from a trust in a just and a righteous and a good and a powerful and a sovereign God. And so, look at the image. When we are sinned against, we have the peace that not us but God can deal with that sin. And so when someone starts to yell at or, or hurt me or do something wrong to me, I can trust that the Lord is either going to do one of two things. He's either going to bring that person to Jesus and they will find redemption and repentance in the same way that I am so dependent upon the grace of Christ. They will find that or If they harden themselves to the call of God and they harden themselves to the love of Christ, then he ultimately will deal with the sin that was caused and and pressed against me. And so I get to have the peace that I don't have to care. I don't have to push. I don't have to be the one that deals with that. When fear strikes, I don't have to know. I I, I know I'm not alone. I don't have to act like I'm alone. I don't have to function as if I'm alone. When suffering comes, we have a peace because we know that one day God is going to remove all of that suffering. When we experience want in this world, some kind of want, whether it's a want of a physical need or a want of just something that we desire, like we can trust in Him to provide and ultimately to lead us to a place where there is no want. And so I think this peace that we get to reign in, like we get to live in accordance with these things because we don't have to fight anymore. We don't have to be the ones that bear all that. And better still, he is brought underneath that same reign, into that same bubble, brothers and sisters, to live life with. So we trust together. We meet needs together. We encourage one another. We support one another. We forgive one another. We are secure in the love of Christ and the church when even the world hates us. And we can give compassion and we can give kindness even to our enemies so we can be freed to live out of the new self, out of how God has called us to be because we know that ultimately either God is going to make those enemies brothers and sisters, or we know that they're going to remain enemies and ultimately vengeance is the Lord's. At least that's what he says. And so we have to ask the question, do we trust that? And so the wellspring of dying to the old self and putting on the new is letting his peace rule in our hearts. The third component is his word, the third source is his word. So we have his forgiveness that sources us, his peace that sources us, and his word that sources us. And I'm not gonna spend a ton of time here because we've focused on this before. This is why we do our Bible reading plan, and if you haven't jumped into that, I encourage you, start today. You can find those on our app. Uh, You can find paper copies out in the lobby at InfoCentral, but it's the idea of just getting his word into our lives, that it can dwell in us, teach us, admonish us, correct us, that it's doing that work of clothing in our own lives. If you are not in the Word, you are cutting off one of the main sources of clothing yourself or being able to clothe yourself or get dressed with Jesus. Now, I do want to focus on one thing here that seems like it's a little off. Topic, But Paul, when he talks about the admonishment of the word, he jumps right in and says, by the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Here's the thing. In the first century, a lot of people were learning and installing the word into their hearts and getting it into their hearts, not through reading it or even through pastors preaching it or podcasts. They were learning and installing the word of God in their hearts through song. Because a lot of those people couldn't even read. And so when Paul's saying this, he's saying like, listen, songs, they're powerful. Songs, they're formative. And church, I just want to remind us that songs are no different for us. Like we are not to just check out mentally when we're singing praise songs to Jesus. No, no, those songs should form us, teach us. They should be things that anchor scripture into our heads and our minds. We all know that songs are powerful in a way that they can bring us back to a place or to a smell or to an event in our lives that's so powerful. And I think what Paul is saying is don't just put the word of God into your heart through reading, that's super important, but also through song. Songs are not just for emotional drive in our lives. They're so much more for us as his people. They're formative for us. And so be mindful of that, that one of the sources for us to live in accordance with our new way and our new creation and to get dressed with these things is his word. Another source is his name. Look again at verse 17. Whatever you do in word or do deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Through Now, it's interesting. The second do there isn't in the Greek, and I actually like it better. Listen to how it says without the do. Whatever you do in word or deed, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Like everything, every part of your life, because this incorporates our prayers and our thoughts and our motivations and everything. Whatever you do in word or deed, Everything is for the name of Jesus Christ. I love that. See, this should motivate us when we get up in the morning. We carry the name of Jesus. This is a... Tremendous privilege, but it's also a tremendous responsibility. If you carry the name of Jesus, in other words, you say, I am a brother and sister, I am a saved believer, I have been raised up with Jesus, and I am His, and He is my Lord. If you claim all that, then you carry His name whether you want to or not. Like, it's literally plastered on you. So when you act in certain ways, you're reflecting upon His name. Now, three things to note in this concept as we think about doing everything in the name of Jesus. Why does this matter? Let me help you walk through it. We do everything in the name of Jesus because of, first, identification. You have his name because you belong to him. I know that can rub us the wrong way. We don't like to belong to anything or anyone, but the fact of the matter is we all Worship something. We all worship someone. We all serve something. We all serve someone. We all belong to someone or to something no matter what or no matter who you are. But in belief in Jesus Christ, in His great love, He died so that we might be bought out of being owned and enslaved by anyone else. We are bought by His blood. And the name that we bear for salvation and life, And promise is the most precious of names. And we have been identified with Him. If you ever wonder who you are, or if you are valued, you remember the name that you carry. Are you identified with that name? Because He bought you, and you belong to Him. You belong to Him. Second, everything in the name of Jesus because of His authority. He's given us authority and power and and the ability to proclaim he has given his very spirit, and the more we die to the old way of life and walk more in him, the more that he is glorified in us. But here's the thing: as you think about how we can be fueled to do these things and to live out of the new life, let me just ask the question: With what do you do everything?" With what authority, I'm sorry do you do everything? Meaning, would He tell you to do that thing? Would He tell you to spend on that thing? Would He tell you to think that way? Could you claim His desire and His will and His purpose when you tip the waiter after church today? Could you say, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus? Could you claim His desire, and His will, and His purpose when you watch that TV show tonight? You say, I'm going to watch this show in the name of Jesus, because He's given me authority to do things in His name. When you think that thought, when you write that check, when you eat that food, can you say, I do this in the name of Jesus? See. We don't oftentimes think in terms of ambassadors, but if the United States sends an ambassador to, well, Russia, and they're trying to make a deal, they're making a deal in the name of the president or whoever sent them, then they have the authority to do that. Can you do the things that you do and live the life that you live Claiming the authority of Jesus, claiming the name of Jesus. This is a huge question, and this should drive us to put him on more and more and more. Finally, everything in the name of Jesus, because we want to honor him. In the things we do, in the conduct that we engage in, we need to constantly ask him, does this bring shame to him, or does this bring honor to him? When we walk in the ways that are contrary to Jesus, His honor and His words, His essence and His beauty, like in essence, what we're really telling people is that we're actually ashamed of Him. Do you want to honor Him with the way that you walk? So if you're unconcerned about that and you don't care about honoring the one who saved you, like that's a big problem. We all need to do it. Teenagers, as you go to school, will you say that you love Jesus and then bring shame upon Him? Husbands, like will you say that you love Jesus and then bring shame upon Him by abusing your wives? Wives, will you say you love Jesus and then bring shame upon Him by abusing? being rude and and, and irritable to your husband and to your kids. Kids, will you say you love Jesus and then bring dishonor to Him and shame to Him by dishonoring your mother and your father? CEOs, engineers, I mean, we could go on and on and on. The, The point is, is do we honor and seek to honor and bring honor to Jesus? You know, I want to close, and as we do close, I want to come back to this analogy, because as we go about this effort in our lives to want to continue to increase in fruitfulness, and we consider that Paul has told us who we are in Jesus, and that we are to put to death the old man. We're going to take that out. We want to kill it, and we're to put on the new. Like In essence, this is just different ways of living, but But here's what I I, I really oftentimes think is the most forgotten thing for us. It's that we can actually do both by simply being obedient to seek to put on Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. See, I've got all, all this water. And if I focus on doing my best to put to death those things in my life, but I also focus on simply trying to live out the way that Paul has called us to, to put on as God's chosen ones compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and kindness. Like, here's what happens naturally. As I put this in, it naturally forces the old man out, doesn't it? Like, like I love it. Like, it naturally forces the old man out. And so often we seek to just stop doing the old things without ever seeking, first and foremost, to try to do the new things. See, we're being asked by Paul to not just stop the old, but to replace the old with the new. And this is so encouraging because as we seek to do this by the power of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God begins to do a tremendous work in us as His people. See, sometimes we don't know how to put to death the old. Sometimes we don't even see the old. And so the best thing we can do is focus on putting on the new. And the best thing that we can do is putting on these components with these motivations and being mindful of that. And, and let this stuff source us so that we can live in faithful ways for our Father, And so today, if you've been raised with Christ and you are not clothing yourself with Jesus, you're not getting dressed with Jesus, like, I just challenge you to examine yourself. Why not? Look at all that He has done for you. Look at what He's called you into. And for His sake, for His name, and for His glory, let us be faithful to do everything, everything by His name. Everything. And that even means in the motivations of our hearts. And so as we close our time, I'm gonna pray and I just wanna call. I know that Ryan is gonna be coming up and leading us in a worship song. And as we do that, I just want you to respond by by just asking the Lord to just strengthen you to do this, to to put on Christ, to put on meekness and and compassion, humility and patience and, and kindness and to bear with one another. And then when people give a complaint, you may, you forgive because Jesus forgave you and, and we do everything by the name of Jesus. And if you've failed in that, as I have failed in that, as I'm gonna probably fail in that in the week between when I've filmed this and, and the, the week you watch it, like we go to Jesus and say, God, I'm, I'm sorry for that. I want to grow. And putting more and more of my old man to death and living more and more in accordance with who you've made me to be. And church, I pray that this has encouraged you. I pray that it has um, helped you to see some things in a new light. And I simply want to close with this. If you're not in Jesus, we never, ever, ever want to leave without inviting you in to the new way of life that he has called you to. Because there is peace in Christ. And He wants His peace to reign fully in you. And, and as long as you're outside of Him, like you're, you're not going to have that peace. The world can promise it all day long, but you won't find it and you won't have it. And Jesus has gone to tremendous lengths to bring that peace to you. And I pray, as the elders of this church pray, that you will find that in Jesus. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity and the privilege that we have to gather as your sons and daughters in this space. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would bless. I pray, Father, that you would just... Um, I pray, Father, that you would help us by your Spirit to put to death what is earthly in us and to put on these things that exemplify your character. Father, I believe that most of the people, many of the people that are listening to this truly want to bring honor to your name. They don't want to bring shame to your name and yet we can get so distracted by this world and sometimes we can just be like, I don't know how to do that. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to stay in these sources, to to stay in your word, to continue to keep our eyes fixed upon you. and, And, Father, to let that drive us, that we might be more faithful and that you might bear more fruit through us. And so, Father, I pray that in the next few moments as we sing, I pray, Father, as as Ryan um, leads us in this, that you would help us to examine our own hearts where we are not putting on you. We're not getting dressed with Christ-likeness. We're not being made in the image of our Creator. We're resisting that. Father, may we release that. May we surrender it this morning so that we can be more faithful in the lives in which you have called us to live. And I pray, Father, for anybody who's listening to this that doesn't know you, May you convict their hearts. May you draw them to yourself by your love. Father, I pray and I ask all of these things in the precious, beautiful, and wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.